And so this morning, I want to get going, and um, I'd like to take a, a step or, or, or what, just to slap it back, if that's okay. And uh, if it's okay, can we just quickly talk more about what's happening in our nation? Is that all right? It, it's sort of difficult. Churches don't like doing that because you don't want to make the pulpit sort of a political platform, and that's certainly not what I'm going to do this morning. But I think we have to be honest to one another as well and just talk about what's happening. I mean, if we're just talking about what's happening this week, the rand's lowest ever against the dollar. That's not looking too awesome. Woo! We're fasting. <laughs> we're fasting January. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's a good thing. Um, that doesn't look too great. Uh, Lundman this week came out, uh, for, I think, one of their worst years ever. But the shadow of a ghost of Marikana is still hanging there. And what happened there? So many people so unhappy. Feast must fall. Lots of stuff happening there. Students unhappy about lots of stuff. Some of it right. Some of it we wonder. We don't know. We're not there. All right. But we see a lot of protest with that. Just where I live in Komiki, um, the informal settlement there, Masipumulela, uh, there was huge protest actions there. And uh, a lot of people talking about that. But the reality is if you actually go and listen, on ground level what has happened there is that the community there uh, demonitor police station because of the increase of crime in that area. And then what happened was that two young people were raped there in this month, a girl and a boy, and the community exploded, mob justice. And a person was killed there. And then the ringleader of the mob justice got arrested, and then the community really went for it. And to be honest, I can say this or that. I'm not in that community, but I can tell you what. I would want my community to be safe. I would want my family to be safe. No, so there's lots of stuff happening in this nation. And we tend to be very careful how we talk about it, isn't it? Uh, unless we're on News 24, then the comment section gets a bit rough. I don't know if you've read the comment section. I think they recently closed that because you probably do need a purity fast for, for three weeks after reading the comment section, right? But here's the thing. I, I don't think any of this is really new in South Africa, right? I mean, the circumstances might change. The scenario might change. But, but it's not really so much new. And I think the core issue of it, the core issue of it, is we have to talk about the, power, the issue of power in this country. And that's not new either. Now, I know this is slightly uncomfortable to a lot of people, and that's okay. I'm not going to make you too uncomfortable. But we have to talk about it. Somebody once said, I can't really get the, the, the author of this quote. I'm, I'm still looking for that author. But somebody once said that every church gets the nation it deserves. That is to say that every church, we're talking about the church of South Africa. We're not talking about South Islam. We're talking about the church, and we are part of that church. But the reality is that the church is called as a prophetic voice to its nation. And that we should speak truth. And that we should live differently. And that we should embody the gospel. And that we should show a better way. Because here's the thing. That's why I'm mentioning all these examples. Because I really do think that this nation is desperate for a better way. But then do we speak that better way? Do we live that better way? And therefore I'd like to talk to you this morning about the issue of power because that is the main issue all these centuries. It is the issue of power. Who has power? Who is powerless? And how is power used? 
And when we talk about it, we first have to look at ourselves, at our own lives, and at the church, and say, what is our relationship with power? All right, it sounds a slight bit abstract, but I'm going to get a bit more practical about that in a moment. What is our relationship with power? And then we have to talk about how do we address, how are we, that prophetic voice? And in that sense, the, the framework that I'd like to use this morning is to talk about the issue of power and idolatry. Power and idolatry. Now, as sort of an intro, I'd like to read for you Micah 6, or 6 to 8. Now, Micah was a prophet that lived at the same time as Isaiah. It was a, a terrible time in Israel's history. They were facing huge dangers. They were facing foreign armies, uh, predominantly the Syrians. But where Isaiah mostly speak from the voice of the royal family, he was part of the royal family, uh, Isaiah, by the way, Micah was actually a peasant prophet. He was among the poor, and he spoke from that position. And he said the following, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, if I read these verses... I can hear the cry of this man, and I think that's a cry that all of us feel because the issue of power and powerlessness is not out there. It is in here as well. There is no one here that has not had a measure of power, and there's no one here that has not felt powerless at some other stage in your life. And we hear the cry of this prophet, and we look at the vast expanse of the universe, and we realize that in the vastness of it all, we are quite small, aren't we? And we feel vulnerable, don't we? Because how will I control the situation around me? How will I make sure that I am safe when everything goes wrong? What will I do to make things okay? And then the prophet looks and he goes beyond that and he says, you know what, the universe is so vast, but imagine how much more vast is God. You see, God cannot be contained. We worship God, but none in which way we can worship Him truly reflect the nature and the vastness of God. He holds the universe in the breath of His palm. How can we reflect Him in any such way? We can try, and it's good that we try, and we should try, because it's good for us. But it's not really a reflection of the totality of who He is. And when I do appear before Him, how will I make it okay? If the universe is that vast and God is even that more vast, how will I make it okay? Will I give ten thousands of rams? Will I give rivers of oil? Will I, in other words, give all my possessions? Will I sacrifice everything? And will I give what is the most dear to me? Will I give my firstborn? Will I give my children? What will I give? What will I sacrifice to make it okay? And we feel we feel the anxiety of an author here. We feel the anxiety of a prophet here. Because you know what? It's our anxieties as well. And you know, in church, in church, it's easy to be okay. In church, it's easy to say all the right things because we learn to say all the right things. But you know what? When the honesty comes and when we really look at ourselves in the mirror, we have to recognize that in many ways we feel powerless. And we sort of hope, we sort of hope that God is going to do something. And so we pray and we seek 
And we hope for this thing because it's a whole issue of power and powerlessness and the fear that powerlessness brings. So what do we do in the midst of it? Now, the thing we have to recognize to ourselves, and yet we have to be very honest, and, and let me just say as well this morning, I'm, I'm not trying to bring a condemning word. I'm not trying to bring a heavy word. The more I do this, the more I realize that most of the times when I'm preaching, I'm having a conversation with myself, and you have an opportunity to listen. I'm no better. But we have to be honest about what really lives in our hearts. We have to be honest. I have to be honest what is living in my heart. And you know the fear, the fear of powerlessness? That fear creates that environment where I'm willing to sacrifice something and that immediately brings us then to the issue of idols because idols is something that I sacrifice to. Now, when we look at idols, I mean, most of the times we think about, you know what, this, this idols that maybe looks at societies much older, much different from ours, and people had a stone that they prayed to, they had a statue that they prayed to, have the image that they worshipped, and that's not me, man, that's, that's not my problem. I don't stand in front of the stone and you know, put fruit on it or something like that. That's not me. That's not my issue. Right, and I hear you. For some people that will say, well, if we talk about idols, we talk about sort of demonic entities and what people are, are willing to do for these demonic entities because they possess a certain amount of power and it's access to that power. Yes, yes, and I hear that. And, and a lot of people say, but you know what? That's not really my scene. You won't find me playing Ouija board in the middle of the night. I'm really okay. Everything is good. And that's fine. And I hear you as well. Now, I'm very addicted to Tim Keller here and what he says about idols. And what he says, if you look at the key of idols, it is actually the following. He says, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. An idol is taking a good thing and making it the ultimate thing. An idol is taking a good thing and making it the ultimate thing. Now, remember, we're talking about idolatry. And we're talking about power, and we're talking about the idolatry of power. All right? Is power a good thing? Yes. Hallelujah. But just think for a moment. What are the classical things that Christians throughout the ages have spoken about as a stumbling block for the church and for believers and for the world indeed? Money, sex, and power. Is money a good thing? Yes. It's a good thing. Of course it's a good thing. Is it the ultimate thing? No. Is sex a good thing? Well, I'm glad that you're looking so holy. Of course it's a good thing. Is it the ultimate thing? You see, the problem with idols is when we take something good, we make it the ultimate thing, and we say, you will provide meaning in my life. What is the difference between addiction and idolatry? Addiction is when you take something, say, money. You're addicted to greed. You have to have more things. You're materialist at heart. What happens when you become addicted is when you have no control anymore. Whatever that thing tells you to do, you must do. But what is idolatry? Idolatry is when you look at that thing and you say, this thing is what gives me meaning in life. Now, why did people have idols all those years ago? Because I realized, as Michael realized, that we're in this midst of this huge universe where we're really not in control and where really a lot of things can go wrong. And you know what? It's so much easier to deal with an idol. 
It's so much easier to look at the, at the statue and to say, please make my environment okay. You know what? It's so much easier in our lives to go for money. Let's just be easy. No, let's just be honest, not easy. It's so much easier to go for money. It's so much harder to deal with a living God. But here's the thing. When I do have that money, can it really give me that meaning? When I do have power, will it really give me meaning in life? An idol is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. And you know what is an idol in the end of the day? Is that thing that you're willing to sacrifice for. And in this country, there's many people, and maybe it's some of us, maybe it's me, that's willing to sacrifice so much for that thing. There's so much being sacrificed in this country for power, isn't it? Because the problem with power and the abuse of power is that it's the powerless that always suffers. And let's be honest about that. An idol is taking a good thing and making the ultimate thing. But you know what's the problem with it in the end of the day? Oscar Wilde said, and I actually quite like the works of Oscar Wilde. He came to a sad ending in his own life because of a moral lifestyle. But he said something and it's sort of sticking with me. He says, in this world there are two tragedies. One is not getting what one wants and the other is getting it. You know what's the problem with idolatry? It always is that something that you're chasing because when is it enough? How much money is enough? How much power is enough? How much sex is enough? How much of a career is enough? Now, I'm not talking about money, sex, and power, but there's lots of things that can be idols. But honest truth is, your marriage can be your idol. Your children can be your idol. Is marriage a good thing? Yes, hallelujah. I'm married for 11 years. Hallelujah. It is good. It is not good for man to be alone. Yes. Marriage is good, but it's not the ultimate thing. Is family good? You know what? I'm 37 years old. We, uh, we have a nine-week-old boy. For a long time in my life, I actually thought we wouldn't have children. Is having a family good? It's good. But it's good. But it cannot be the ultimate thing. And Oscar Wilde actually put points for irony here because the one irony is when something is your idol, when is enough? What is enough? So we find so many people chasing so many things. You know, pastorally, I actually sit with a lot of people, pastorally. I make sure that I get time and I sit with people, I talk with people. You know what they mostly talk to me about? Can I give you sort of pastoral insight here? Can I give you insight into my average counseling session? My average counseling session is this. Dians, if I can only have blank, fill something in there. That sort of spouse, that sort of work, that sort of living space, that sort of thing. You see, we're forever unhappy with what we have and we ever think what we can have and we're forever chasing what we don't have and because of that, we're unhappy. We're unhappy. Here's a question. Am I unhappy this morning? Are you unhappy this morning because of what you don't have? 
So on one side, we find this unhappiness because we find people chasing a career. We find people chasing money. We find people chasing power. We find people chasing sex. We find people chasing this and that. And they're unhappy because they don't have it. But you know what's even a worse case? Is when you do have it. And in that moment, you realize that this thing cannot give me meaning. This thing cannot make me okay. This thing does not answer the question of Micah of what shall I do to make it okay. You see, Tim Keller says that our hearts are idol-making factories. And that is me, and that is you. And you awesome people. You awesome people. But I tell you what, we're all just people. And in my heart, I make idols very easy. And in your heart, you make idols very easy. And we should be honest about these things. What is an idol? And that's in my heart. And I tell you, one of the, the, the things that we then often face in our walk with God is that a lot of people walk away from God because they don't receive from God what they want. Because the problem then, in the end of the day, was what that person truly worships is not Jesus but to get what Jesus gives. For our generation, for this culture, often the question of Christianity is, does it work? But what if it doesn't work? What if a prayer is not answered? What if a healing does not happen? Healing does happen. I mean, you guys know that. I mean, I was healed of a brain cyst that completely incapacitated me. Healed. Small group came. Life group came. The guys prayed for me. Boom, I was healed. Thank you so much. Healings happen, hallelujah. But what if it doesn't? You see, what is the ultimate thing and what is a good thing? Now, Adlib, he gives a diagnostic test, and this is, this is quite a hectic thing to ask, and we should ask ourselves. If we're talking about idols, he says, what nightmare should it occur, would rob you of virtually all meaning in life. Now, this is hard questions. This is not a question that you ask at a party. This is not something that you write on a Christmas card and send it out to people. This is not something that you WhatsApp for the group. All right, and I'm sorry that I'm bringing the fire here, the different sort of fire, uh, here this morning. I'm sorry, but, you know, it's so nice to be a visiting pastor. It's like playing golf. I'm terrible at playing golf. You hit the first shot, and that thing just goes like... And it's not your problem anymore because you're done. You just played the first shot and from there on it's Andre's problem. And that's why it's so nice to be a visiting pastor because you could just play it and whatever, wherever the ball goes. But, you know, at least you played it. So that's what I'm doing here this morning. I'm just playing it because here's the thing. I want to drag us out of a conversation of just the church into a conversation of this nation. And yes, you might be a strong congregation, but hey, you're not 20 million people sitting here, and you might say, well, what, you know, what can we do? I tell you, we can do a lot. I tell you, we can do a lot. And you are doing a lot. But what will we become in the end? And how will we look at the end? Because I tell you what, generation of generation of Christian has lived in this country. Christianity is not new in this country, agreed? And mighty revivals has been in this country. Go and look at the history of revivals in this country, not necessarily elsewhere. Go and look at the history of revivals in this country. You'll find there's been mighty revivals in this country. And yet it seems to me, and I'm just being very honest about it, it seems to me that the church in South Africa has never truly addressed the issue of power effectively. 
what can we be? But I tell you right now, you might be in a position of powerlessness, or you might be in a position of power, and what you do with it is critical. Because we have to show a better way. What is church? Church, it's two theologians, Lofen, a theologian says, the church is a contrast community. That is to say that the church is a community that lives in a way that is so different because it, it demonstrates, it embodies a different way of living because of a gospel. And that's how the church changes community because it offers a contrast. Maltman, Maltman said that the church is a catalyst. That, that church might not need to be even the biggest community in a broader community, but it's a catalyst. It sparks things, and because of it, it changes things. And I tell you what, you can spark many things in the city. And you can spark many things in this nation. You're not there yet. You're on a journey. But how does this journey look like? And where are you heading? And I tell you what, we are not the type of people that are just hanging on for heaven one day, but we want to see heaven here. We want to see the kingdom of God here. Let me ask you this way. If the kingdom of God would be here in East London today, boom, this is it, East London is heaven. All right? Thought experiment. East London is heaven, boom, right now. Well, obviously my preaching is done then because Jesus is here, so I'll just put the mic down and sort of go to the corner. I think that's safe for me to do. All right? No problems there. Worship band, you can relax with angels. They're taking over your job. Well, well done, good and faithful. Now go and sit down. The angel will take over. Right? Heaven is in East London. How would East London look like? The beaches are already quite nice. I don't think too much will change there. But how will East London look like? How would families look like? How would work look like? How do institutions in East London look like? If you can answer that, you know where to this church must grow. Because that is a real question. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is growing. And therefore, we have to talk about power. But in a certain sense, we have to talk about ourselves first. Judgment starts at the house of God. Let's be honest about ourselves and where we are. I'm not saying you guys are bad. I'm just saying that's the order that we should need to go for. And I must do that as well in my own life. And Adler gives this diagnostic test and he says, What nightmare should it occur would rob you of virtually all meaning in life? You might sit here this morning and say, I have no issues with power. But let me ask you this. Say you never had success in your work environment. Would you be okay with that? Because the issue is not really success. The issue is actually power that success brings, isn't it? It's the influence that success brings. It's the safety that success... Now it's its power. Would you be okay? You see, would I be okay to be a pastor of a very small congregation? I have to just to, let, let, let's just be honest. If I'm asking you the questions, I need to ask myself a question. If, if, if I'm called to pastor uh, two small groups and that's it, heck, let's take it worse. One small group, that's what I'm supposed to pastor, that's it. Would I be okay with that? Or would I ever look at life and say, man, I deserve more, I should have more, I should be able to do more. If, if you never go through the ranks, I'm not saying you won't. Please don't get me wrong. But, but here's a question we should ask ourselves. 
If the answer to that is yes, then power is an issue to us. I'm not saying you're power greedy, but I'm just saying power is an issue. Nightmare. What happens if I lose my health? Would I be okay? I'm asking the tough questions here this morning. That's, I'm, I'm sorry. Is, is that okay? Can I ask the tough questions? I, I promise I'm leaving tomorrow and then, then everything is on track again. You know, as a physio, I worked for a long time in a hospital. I saw people in dire circumstances. You know, as a pastor, I often go to old age homes. I see the struggle that the elderly has. Here's a question we have to ask all of ourselves. If I would lose my health, would I be okay? Because health is a form of power, isn't it? It's an ability to do things physically, and if I lose that, would I actually be okay? I'm not saying it's not tough. Obviously, it's tough. But we're asking, what is my idol? Because I don't want to come to the end of my life and realize I always have been worshiping God, but I've actually been serving an idol. Because in name, this, Christian is, this nation has always been Christian, but when push comes to shove, the idol always comes to the top. We have to start with ourselves. Let, let, let's not start at what the government does or some institution does or somebody else. Let's start with ourselves, and then we need to speak the truth to those things. Number two, Adler Osia. What circumstances make you lose control of your emotions? You know what often happens in marriage when you lose control? Not that you guys lose control. You, you're very much in control. You know, when you lose control of your emotions, it's often where you lose control of a situation. That is a form of power, isn't it? Power. We have to talk about it. So we spoke about the issue of power in this country. We spoke about idolatry. Now, let's, let's look a slap bit closer at power, and then we're going to go from that. And let's define power. Number one, power is the ability to achieve a given end. Power is a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. All I'm saying is not the ultimate thing. Power is a good thing. We need power. To be a human being, you need power, right? It's part of a human experience. God has placed eternity within our hearts. What's the worst thing that can happen to a human being is to become a slave. And a slave has no power. All power is taken from the person In other words, that person has got no choice, no ability to achieve certain things because of something placed upon that person. Power is the ability to achieve a given end. If you just go to the next slide, I'd just like to read you a verse there. And hallelujah, scripture, it says the following, Ephesians 1 verse 15 to 23, it says, that you may know what is the hope to which he had called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power working towards us who believe. Now, it might be that you're sitting here this morning and you feel powerless. But look at the scripture and what it says. It says the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. Who's for us? It's you and I. It's all the saints of all the ages. It is us. And immeasurable, that word there, the Greek word, it's an interesting word. It means to throw beyond. It means that wherever your imagination can pitch for greatness of the power of God, working in you, whatever you think is possible to what God can do in your life, because here's the problem. The problem is not often what God can do, but often is what we imagine God can do. And what we give permission for God to do. 
But I tell you what, whatever you imagine God can do, the measurable greatness of his power in us, it is actually beyond that what you can imagine. Whatever you throw it down to be, God throws it beyond that. You see, we, we have power and we have eternal power. Here's the thing, your circumstances now might be tough, or it might not be tough, I don't know where you are at this morning, but I tell you what, it might be tough, but here's the reality, you are eternal being, shaped in the image of God, that heaven lives within your heart, Power is the least of your issues, to be honest. It might be now, but it's a time thing. It might be now, but it's not going to be forever. Whether heaven comes now in your heart, whether heaven grows within your heart, the immeasurable greatness of the power of God works within us, and we have no lack. And I want to take you back to the whole thing of Micah and the fears that drive us, because the problem with idolatry is that most of the time it is fear-driven. I'm afraid and therefore I seek something that will console me and often the thing that consoles me is the thing I can see. And that's why at Mount Sinai, what happens, the people are afraid and Moses goes up the mountain. What happens, they fashion an idol out of gold, something that they can see and they call it Yahweh and say, you are my God. You see, fear leads to idols. So the answer to idolatry is to address fear. And the way in which to address fear, because fear is a natural human response. We're all afraid of something. If you're not afraid of anything, well, I don't know. You probably didn't wake up yet. The way in which to address fear is to see the immeasurable greatness of the power of God in us. And you know, this might sound tacky. This might sound tacky, but maybe you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am safe. I said this with a sermon the other day, and there's a guy in, in, in our congregation that is really working through some tough stuff, tough addictions, and he sent me a picture of his mirror. Boom. And he wrote it on his mirror so he can read it off the mirror every day. But you know what? You need to look at yourself and to say, I am safe. Am I in a safe environment? No. Is it possible that tough stuff or bad stuff can happen with me? Yes. Am I in control of this environment? You know, we try so hard to control things. That's what the salary is about. The more money we have, the more control we seem to have. The more insurances we have and the bigger the insurances we have and the more add-ons to the package of insurance and the retirement annuity, the more safe we will be. The only problem is you're not really safe like that. I'm glad you do have those things. But it doesn't make you safe. It's good things, but it's not the ultimate thing. You see, we, you have to say to yourself, I live in God's world. I am safe. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us working in my life, not every second day, every day. I am safe. I am safe. C.S. Lewis said, I love C.S. Lewis. I have to tell you, I was shocked the other day. I love C.S. Lewis so much that um, you know, my sister-in-law came to visit us, and I don't think she's ever heard me preach. Uh, but she, she's like a whiz when it comes to interior decorating, a whiz. And whenever they come to visit, the house looks different when they're done. I don't know what they do, but I'm just glad that they do it because I'm, I'm a bit of a doffle when it comes to this sort of thing. But anyway, so I saw she made like a little uh, bookshelf. And guess which books that she put there? Just C.S. Lewis. 
So uh, it's so obvious from my house and my library that I love C.S. Lewis that even my sister-in-law who has never heard me preach can pick up on it. But anyway, the joke is on me. The thing here is C.S. Lewis said, never put your happiness on something you can lose. Never base your happiness on something that you can lose. See, what is truly precious, what is truly right, what is truly from God, you can never lose. You have inheritance stored up, you kept. No moth, no thief, no rust, no inflation, no market falling, no rand dollar ratio. Nothing can get to it. You are safe. Never base your happiness on something that you can lose. What am I basing my happiness on? You know, I can, can, you know I'm sort of giving a lot of um, suggestions here, but really you should take time out and ask yourself these questions. Because I don't want to base my life on something. And I tell you what, I can do it as easily as a pastor. Guys, you don't have to be blind driving past a lamppost. I don't know if you've got it here, but usually there's some article about some pastor falling off a bus in some newspaper and by the bus, I'm talking about euphemistically. Why is that? Because idolatry knows no respect of office. Or being a Christian or not being a Christian. It's a human thing. And I have to be honest to myself and ask myself these questions. Ask yourself these questions. Don't base your life on something that is not solid, not rock solid. I'm not saying you're a bad Christian this morning. I'm not saying I'm a bad Christian this morning. I'm just saying that the heart is deceitful above all else. My heart is, your heart is. And therefore we have to be accountable. We have to ask ourselves honest questions because that's what we want to build on. Power is just simply the ability to achieve a given end. And we are born with a desire to do things and to do good things and to change things and to do productive things. The things that we enjoy the most at work is when we've done something, we can look back on it and say, wow, I have done something, something amazing. Even if you just build a little Lego figure in and it really looks good. Then you can say, oh, I've been productive. It's good. It, power is the ability to achieve a given end. All right, and we have to recognize that a lot of people in this country don't have power. They might have other forms of power. Protest is a form of power, by the way. But a lot of people protest because they don't have options. Poverty, I would argue, I might be wrong, please help me here. I would argue that poverty is about the money, yes, but actually it's about the lack of options. If you have options, you're not poor yet. Because that's what poverty does. It robs you of power. And once you're robbed of power and you have no more options, you are robbed in a large sense of your feeling of humanity. Because that's what power is about. It's about us as human beings created in the image of God. Now, the next thing, power is derived, not inherent. What does it mean? Power, the sort of narrative that we find in the culture around us is because of my talent, because of my ability Look at what I've done. Look at all the awesome stuff that I've done. I have that many degrees. I have this many networks. I have this sort of work environment. I have this sort of thing. I have that, that sort of skill. And therefore, I have power. But in a biblical point of view, power is given. God gives and God takes. And often the difference, often the difference, uh, this is a teacher bit to me. Have you noticed that in, in Scripture, it says that God will judge according to the heart? Because here's the thing, you might have all the power and all the opportunity, but it doesn't say something of your heart. 
and you might have none of the opportunity and none of the power, but it might not say something of your heart. That's only true, fair, reflective medium. God judging the heart, God looking at the heart. But power is given by God. God has given us power. We are born into a certain place. We have certain abilities. We are given certain things. And yes, we work with it. Yes, we manage us. Yes, we stewards in a biblical sense. But in reality, all of it is from God and we have to give an account of it to God. Power is material or spiritual. All right, power is both. We have spiritual power, hallelujah, but we have material ability as well. And God will look at both of those things and ask how did you use it and how did you acquire it. All power is relational in its outcome. What does it mean? It means that how we do power, how we exercise power, in the end of the day, influences people. How we do spiritual power influences people. How we do material power influences people. How we acquire wealth influences people. How we use that wealth influences people. You know, in, in the congregation that I am, it's mostly a young bunch. It's young working people coming into the city. They want to go for it. They're growing in it. And a lot of the times, the question that they ask is, what should I do with my life? What is sort of my life ambition? Where is sort of the direction that I'm heading? And they're really going for it, and they're developing it, and they're going for it. But you know what's a question that I often find that they don't ask? They don't ask a question of not just what, but how. You see, the question is not just whether you should be the CEO of a company. The question is, how do you get there without abusing other people? Without trampling on the heads of other people. You know, if, if we can cut the sword both ways, I can have a godly ambition to have a humongous size congregation. Humongous. All right? The question is not just what. The question is how. How do I do it without hurting people? Without climbing on the heads of people? It's the same thing. All power is relational in its income. Uh, outcome, sorry. <laughs> power is essential to being human. We really spoke about that. Powers often appear imperceptible. Now it's power and the way in which it's applied can often appear, we don't see it, but once it starts bearing fruit, then it becomes more clear. And here's the other thing. Power can be creative or destructive. Do we use power to create or do we use power to destroy? All right, let's go on. We already spoke about the verse of God's immeasurable power. Uh, then just a quick verse on powers derived, not inherent. Uh, scripture says, Isaiah 40, He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks mighty increases power. But youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men slumber badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. God gives strength. God gives power. Power is from God. And it's a good thing, but it belongs to God. All right, now, quickly. How can we overcome the idol of power? How can I overcome my issues around power? Quickly, two things. Number one, submission. Submission. Ephesians 5, verse 20 to 21 says, Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another. You know what's the thing about submission? Submission is giving control to somebody else, isn't it? And I tell you what, in marriage preparation... There's two sessions that is usually big sessions, the two S sec, uh, sessions. Uh, the one you know about, the other one is submission. That one is normally a rough session. 
Why is it a right session? Because somebody looks at somebody else and go, are you worthy to submit to? Right? When it comes to church leadership in church, when you say submission in church, everyone goes like, oh, oh. All right, let me go and read John Bevere again. All right? Why is it so tough? It's tough for us because we look at the recipient of whom we're submitting to, and we go, is Andre worthy? Is he worthy? But here's the thing. Submission is not about the worth of a person we're submitting to because no one is good. Not me, not you. No one is good. Only God is good. But you know what? We're not submitting to a person because of their worth. We're not submitting to governor because of their worth. We're submitting because it's good for us. It's a discipline by which I say I'm letting go of control. I'm overcoming issues of control in my own life by learning to submit. You know what? Sure, I'm in the top leadership team. I am a regional leader. I'm a senior pastor of a church. But you know what? I actually belong to a life group where I submit to a leader in my congregation. I do that. Why do I do it? Because that person is that worthy. Actually, does quite a good job. It's not that difficult. But I tell you what, I do it because it's good for me. Once a year I go on missions, not as a missions leader. I go as a team member. And I tell you what, there's been times that I go like, ooh, hallelujah. <laughs> let's read scripture. Let's pray. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. And then I, shut up. And I tell you what, it's good for me. Because I have to deal with my control issues. I can't always be in charge, guys, men, husbands, fathers. Can't always be in charge. Somewhere you must submit and deal with the issues of control in your life. It's good for you. Let me tell you another area in which we can grow servanthood. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves. So Master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. As I've told you everything the Father told me. Martin Luther so beautifully said, A Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is perfectly dutiful, servant of all, subject to all. Power, the idol of power, often boils down to control. Submission is a way of overcoming that. Serving. It's a way of overcoming it. Now in our congregation, where I find people grow the most, just honest now, it's often not through the courses, although the courses are awesome. No problem with them. But you know where we get the most testimonies of people growing in Christ? is from people just serving in ordinary things like ushering, setting up sound. Because there's something about serving that releases me from the issues of power. So I can be open to be more like Jesus. Because Jesus was a servant of all. Jesus came not to lord over, but to serve. And that's why he is worthy to rule and to reign. Because he is able to serve and he has served. Here's two things in which we can grow to help us with the issues of power and control. Submission and servanthood. Where do I submit where do I serve? Sherry McAdams said, the only cure for the love of power is a power of love. Now, 
We spoke about power. We said it is probably one of the big issues when it comes to this nation is the problem, the issue uh, or the problem of power. We said, now, let's talk about why it's an issue. And we said, most likely because it's idolatry. People idolize it and they're willing to sacrifice anything for it. How much are they willing to sacrifice for it? But it's really not life-giving. It's really not helping this nation. Then we said, okay, we have to look at ourselves first. And we spoke about the nature of power, the nature of idolatry. spoke about um, disciplines to overcome the issue of idolatry. But now we also have to say to ourselves that we have to be a prophetic voice. And that we have to speak what is right. And Micah says it so beautifully. I'm going to take you back to that and I'm going to finish with that. What does God require of all humanity? He has told you, a man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? The exercise, the acquisition, the use of power must always be critiqued in terms of this. To do justice. What is just? What is just? Justice is a correct use of power in a fair and equitable way. What is just? You know what's the problem often in this country? Is that you're forced to pick sides, isn't it? You're for the side or you're against that side. Or you're with this group or you're against this group. Right? Do you feel that pressure as well? Are you with me or are you against me? And in a biblical sense, that is not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, how is power acquired and how is power used? And Micah says here, number one, do justice. Do justice. What is just? And we should speak out for what is just. You know what? You should speak out for what is just. In your work environment, where you have relationships. Now, often we're silent in these environments, and you don't have to be. In fact, you shouldn't be. What is just? Number two, what is kind? Do kindness. You know kindness? Kindness comes in when those in a position of power deal with those in a position of powerlessness. That is when kindness comes in. I'm not just talking about socioeconomic status. I'm talking about power and the use of power. But we should love kindness. And these are the questions that we should ask. What is just? See, when a marikana happens, when students uh, protest in terms of fees must fall, when a community protests, we should ask these questions. When we see the abuse of power, we should ask these questions. What is just, number one? Number two, what is kind? And number three, what is humble? What is humble? Walk humbly with your God. Men, this is a great verse for being a man, isn't it? I'm not saying it's just applicable to the men. But I tell you what, if you are a man and you put your life on this to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly, your wife will love you and your children will love you because of who you become.